Welcome into Lockdown Blackhawks. Today is Mailbag Monday, June 29th, 2020. I am your host, Jack Bushman, tuning in for the 162nd episode of Lockdown Blackhawks. Be sure to subscribe to the Lockdown Blackhawks podcast for free wherever you listen to your podcasts, whether that be through Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. You'll be able to get the latest episode of Lockdown Blackhawks as soon as it comes out each day, so make sure to go do that. Also, please go follow the Lockdown Blackhawks Twitter page, which can be found at capital L, capital O, underscore Blackhawks, as some good stuff will be posted there daily as well. By the way, today's episode is brought to you by Built Bar, the protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. Make sure to go to BuiltBar.com right now, as they are currently giving away up to 50% off on all products, and all profits will be donated directly to charity. So today, I'd like to start with a conversation about the NHL's draft lottery that took place on Friday night, where we learned that the Blackhawks still have a chance at landing the first overall pick in the 2020 NHL draft, aka 18-year-old phenom Alexi Lafreniere. Eight teams remain in the running for the number one pick, but those teams are yet to be determined as the pick is currently reserved for those eliminated in the play-in round of the potential 2014 postseason. And with that yet to be played, obviously we are not sure what eight teams will be in the running. There's still a lot that needs to happen before this whole return-to-play plan actually turns into a reality, though, as we're seeing huge second surges of COVID-19 cases all over the United States at the moment. If the NHL is not able to play out the remainder of the season, then the bottom eight teams slotted to take place in the 2014 postseason will all share a 12.5% chance at landing the first overall pick and will be selected lottery style at a later date. Those eight teams are the Montreal Canadiens, your Chicago Blackhawks, the Arizona Coyotes, the Minnesota Wild, the Winnipeg Jets, the New York Rangers, the Florida Panthers, and the Columbus Blue Jackets. All of those teams have potential and would be a great spot for an elite talent like Lafreniere, who we'll talk a bit more about here in just a few moments. If the postseason does happen, though, there could be another eight teams possibly in the running for Lafreniere, all depending on if they lose their playing series or not. We could potentially see the Pittsburgh Penguins, Carolina Hurricanes, New York Islanders, Toronto Maple Leafs, Edmonton Oilers, Nashville Predators, Vancouver Canucks, or Calgary Flames win the lottery, which seems a little bit unfair almost as some of those teams have loads of talent already, but hey, that's how the lottery works. It's all left to chance, which I personally like because it keeps tanking out of the game. It keeps every game of the season competitive because no matter the circumstances or no matter how bad you are, you're not always guaranteed to have the first overall pick next season. And sometimes that can really screw you over, which we saw happen on Friday night as the 17-49-5 Detroit Red Wings wound up with the fourth overall pick in the 2020 NHL Draft, which is a true gut punch for the franchise after a tough last couple of seasons. As much as I still have a burning hatred for the Red Wings, even after moving off to the Eastern Conference, this one hurt me a little bit to watch, as I know how badly the fan base in Detroit was looking forward to finally catching a break and getting future captain Dylan Larkin some real help. Now, not only will they not be getting Lafreniere, but they're going to get a significantly lower value pick, as past drafts have shown that after the first and second selections, there tends to be a huge drop-off in talent level. Wings fans probably would have been a little upset receiving the second overall pick originally, but now (laughs) they would love to have that pick as they remain without a top three selection during their rebuild era. The second overall pick in the draft was won by the Los Angeles Kings, who have quietly stacked up one of the more impressive prospect pools in the entire league. 
They'll look to add to it with a possible game-changing talent at number two, and that will likely be either Quinton Byfield or Tim Stutzel, with whichever player not selected by the Kings expected to slide to number three, where the Ottawa Senators will be choosing. The Senators nabbed both the third and fifth picks in the 2020 draft thanks to the Eric Carlson trade a couple seasons ago, or I guess that was last season at the trade deadline actually, with the Sharks' unprotected 2020 first-round pick going back to the Senators in return for the Norris Trophy-level defenseman. Now, (laughs) it's been a tough, tough last couple of seasons for the Senators since losing uh, Game 7 of the Eastern Conference Finals to the Pittsburgh Penguins. But now they've got a couple of real solid young players in Brady Kachuk and Thomas Chapat, and they could possibly do some damage and add to their future core with two of the top five picks here in this year's draft. The rest of the top eight rounds out with the Anaheim Ducks at six, the New Jersey Devils at seven, and then the Buffalo Sabres at eight, and then the rest of the draft will all be figured out during phase two of the lottery, which will be at a later date. Could the Blackhawks catch a break thanks to the NHL's draft lottery for the second consecutive year and somehow steal Alexi Lafreniere? In order to do so, they'd have to lose their best of five playing series to the Edmonton Oilers first. But doing so might be worth it, honestly, as Lafreniere has dominated every level of hockey he's played at. This past season as captain of Ramuski Oceanique of the QMJHL, the same junior hockey team that Sidney Crosby actually played for, Lafreniere led the league in scoring with 35 goals and 77 assists in just 52 games for a second straight 100-point campaign. He followed that up with one hell of a showing while playing two years ahead at the 2020 IIHF World Junior Championship, earning MVP honors after tallying four goals and six assists in five contests en route to a gold medal for Team Canada. (laughs) Not too shabby for an 18-year-old. So the Blackhawks, unless they advance against the Oilers in the potential 2014 playoffs, will have a 12.5% chance at landing potential superstar Alexi Lafreniere in the 2020 NHL Draft, something certainly to be excited about whether or not hockey returns here in the next month or so. All right, now let's move on to our next segment of today's episode, which is our weekly Mailbag Monday segment, where I take a moment to answer a few questions from a couple of lucky listeners out there. But first, I need to take a minute to talk about something serious. The Lockdown Podcast Network stands against racism and social injustice. That's why we... The hosts are making personal donations to local and national organizations that are fighting for change. And in the month of June, Lockdown is matching the total of all host donations up to an additional $10,000. To make your own donation along with us, please visit LockdownPodcast.com slash Black Lives Matter. Also, I need to talk to you about Bilt Bar, which is the protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. Bilt Bar comes in a variety of different chocolate nut or nut-free flavors, such as salted chocolate caramel, banana chocolate cream, and double chocolate mousse, all of which are completely covered in 100% real chocolate. Bilt Bars are tremendously tasty and also health-conscious, so you can enjoy a delicious snack while also staying fit. All of the bars are 170 calories or less, high in protein, and high in fiber. What more could you want from a protein bar that tastes like candy? Bilt Bar is also currently offering an insane discount deal with up to 50% off on everything due to an inventory closeout, so make sure to go to BiltBar.com right now to take advantage of that. Another awesome thing about Bilt Bar is that they are now donating 100% of their profits to organizations that support education, poverty, equality, and ending hate and racism. So not only is Bilt Bar a terrific tasting and healthy protein bar, but they are also donating all of their profits to a tremendous cause, so make sure to go to BuiltBar.com today to get a health-conscious snack option and help be part of the solution.
This is the Lockdown Blackhawks podcast, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. Thanks for listening today. I am your host, Jack Bushman. Be sure to check out my personal Twitter page, at Jack Bushman 2, and my Blackhawks Twitter page, at Talkin' Hockey. That's capital T-A-L-K-I-N, capital H-A-W-K-E-Y, for all the latest Blackhawks news and updates. Also, make sure to subscribe and follow Lockdown Blackhawks for free on your favorite podcast app so you can get the latest episode of this podcast as soon as it comes out each day. So we just finished talking about the NHL draft lottery that took place on Friday. Now let's move on to our weekly Mailbag Monday segment where I take a few minutes to answer a couple of questions from a few lucky fans out there. Today's first question comes from 13 underscore Mysterio on Twitter who asked, If the Blackhawks end up having to sacrifice a player and not re-sign them due to the salary cap issue over the next three years, who do you feel it's going to be? Do they keep Kubelik and let Strom walk? Someone else? Close quote. So, a great question here pertaining to the news that came out on Friday, which, for those of you that are unaware, was that the NHL salary cap is reportedly locked in around $81.5 million per season for each of the next three years because of the effects of the COVID-19 outbreak. So, even before this news, the Blackhawks were already going to have a hard time moving forward because of the salary cap, but now, they could really be in trouble due to the contracts of Jonathan Taze, Patrick Kane, and Brent Seabrook. Looking ahead, the Hawks already have roughly $74 million on their books for next season, and that's without Dylan Strome, Dominic Kubelik, and a legitimate number one netminder, with Corey Crawford set to become a free agent this offseason. So, Something obviously is going to have to give here in order for the team to make everything work. The first thing that needs to be done this offseason is the team needs to buy out both Olimata and Zach Smith's contracts as they each have team-friendly buyout clauses in their current deals to save the Hawks a few million in cap space. Buying out Mata would save the team nearly $3.5 million next season, so that needs to happen immediately. And it makes sense with the amount of defensemen currently in the organization. You know, we don't really need another third-pairing defenseman that's going to eat minutes, especially for that price. So buying out Mata just makes sense. Then, buying out Smith would give the Blackhawks another $2 million. So making those two moves nearly doubles their cap space for the offseason right there. Looking beyond this upcoming offseason, though, things get tougher for the Blackhawks because they have so many players locked up for the next three to four years. While I don't see the team moving on from Strom or Kubelik, at least I hope, a couple players who could get caught up in a trade because of the salary cap are Connor Murphy, Brandon Saad, and Nicholas Bodan. I first mentioned Murphy because he's locked up for just two more years at a fair price for his on-ice value at less than $4 million per season. With the expansion draft looming next summer and the team needing to protect Duncan Keith, Brent Seabrook, and Calvin DeHaan first, Murphy is someone who, unfortunately, could be left unprotected, so trading him before that happens would be the wise decision. I personally wouldn't like this move, as I really like Murphy, and I think that he could be a staple of this blue line for a long time, but the fact of the matter is, the team is going to have to make some tough decisions with very little financial room to maneuver in the next few years. Brandon Saad's another one of those guys, as he has one more season after this one at $6 million on the Blackhawks' books, And if the team isn't contending around the trade deadline next season, then he very likely could get moved if Stan isn't wanting to work out an extension. The chances of the Hawks being able to give Saad anything even close to a raise on his next deal are slim to none, so if they feel that they're not going to be able to re-sign him in the offseason, then trading him at the deadline would be be in the team's interest going forward. 
Last, I mentioned Nicholas Bodan because he fits the mold of defensemen the Blackhawks already have a lot of, and that's high offensive upside defensemen. Adam Boquist and Ian Mitchell are in that same genre, and both are supposed to have higher ceilings than Bodan. And then there's also Alec Regula, who tore up the OHL this season for the London Knights with some impressive offensive numbers. Bodan is one of the only prospects in the Blackhawks system that could actually generate a decent return right now, and because of this, I think there's a decent chance that he gets traded this offseason or sometime in the near future. While I would like to see more of Bodan on the professional scene before feeling comfortable trading him because he is a former first-round pick, I know how trigger-happy Stan can get, especially during the offseason, and if he feels that the return is good enough, I would understand why he would make that move. So those are three guys that I think the Blackhawks could be trading this offseason or sometime near next year's trade deadline because of their limited cap space. So thank you again, 13 underscore Mysterio, for asking that question. I hope you got the answer you were looking for. The second and final question that I am going to answer on today's episode comes from Jamie Pierce, who emailed the Lockdown Blackhawks email his question, which was, with all the turnover in Buffalo, do you expect Rocky Wirtz to finally address the fans? And do you think there may be a potential trade available with the Sabres over the summer? So, Jamie, first, thanks for taking the time to email in your question. I really appreciate it. And now on to an answer. I personally don't think that Rocky Words or the Blackhawks are too worried about their fan base's opinions right now because they know that things still aren't even close to late 90s, early 2000s bad in terms of the state of the organization. The Sabres, on the other hand, have been a laughing stock of the league for some time now and have failed tremendously at giving Jack Eichel even a drop of help out in Buffalo. The Blackhawks have won three Stanley Cups in the last 10 seasons, and while things certainly aren't what they were four years ago here in Chicago, the tension between the fan base and the team isn't even close to what it is in Buffalo. Those front office moves out in New York 100% needed to be made, whereas in Chicago, some could make the argument that Stan Bowman needs to go, which I would understand, but to say that we need a complete overhaul from top to bottom would be a bit dramatic in my opinion. If things aren't any better in a year's time, then I would understand it more, but I don't think that Rocky and the Blackhawks have anything to answer to just yet. If you're a diehard fan of this team, then you sort of know that these couple rebuild years were necessary. I will say that the rebuild has gone a lot rougher than I expected, and I think most fans will agree with that, but I would also say that the future has a lot of potential if these defenseman prospects can pan out. As for the second part of your question, Jamie... I talked on a previous episode, actually, about a trade rumor between these two teams involving Dylan Strome, but I haven't heard anything more on that topic ever since. For those who didn't catch that episode, the rumor was that the Buffalo Sabres were interested in trading for Dylan Strome, and actually, the asking price from the Blackhawks was reportedly not high at all, which was concerning to hear. But as I mentioned just a second ago, nothing has come of this ever since, so it's, it's something to keep an eye on heading into the offseason, especially with a new front office in Buffalo likely trying to address their roster as soon as possible. But at the moment, we haven't heard anything more than that, than that initial rumor, so I wouldn't look into it too much. As for potential trade candidates from the Sabres, one guy who caught my attention right away was former Blackhawks forward Dominic Cahoon, who is set to become a restricted free agent after this season. The Blackhawks obviously liked Cahoon enough to sign him out of Europe, and they have a weird tendency with giving former players a second shot, so Cahoon would make sense for a potential return in a trade this offseason. Another guy who, while I'm not sure would be available, 
would be a nice addition to the Blackhawks roster is current Sabres alternate captain Marcus Johansson, who has signed on for only one more season at a fair $4.5 million. He's a crafty veteran that would be a strong depth add for the Hawks, and I think he would be a good third-line offensive piece that the Blackhawks are missing at the moment. I've heard from Eichel on Spit and Chicklets that Johansson is a good locker room guy, so I don't know how willing the Sabres would be to make a move, but at the same time, they got to be real desperate at the moment, so I could see him being traded in the offseason to a contender or a team like the Chicago Blackhawks who don't have very much forward depth at the moment and could really use another scoring piece on their third line. So, Jamie, thank you again for emailing the Lockdown Blackhawks email. I hope I got you the answer that you were looking for. All right, so I think that will take care of today's Mailbag Monday segment. Now it's time to move on to our new daily segment here on the podcast, which is regular season recap, where I give a a brief recap of one Blackhawks player's 2019-20 regular season, just as a bit of a refresher on how they did this year before the best of five playing series against the Edmonton Oilers takes place in a little over a month. But first, I need to talk about rockauto.com, the best place to shop for all your auto and body needs. Amazing selection, reliably low prices. Visit rockauto.com and tell them the Lockdown Podcast Network sent you. That's rockauto.com for an amazing selection and reliably low prices. Listen, we've all had our share of car problems in the past. How much easier is it when you have an auto and body shop that you can rely on? Well, rockauto.com has your back for all the car parts you will ever need in any situation. One more time, check out rockauto.com for reliably low prices and an amazing selection, and make sure to let them know the Lockdown Podcast Network sent you. rockauto.com, an auto and body shop that you can trust for reliably low prices. I am Jack Bushman, your host of the Lockdown Blackhawks podcast. You can reach me on Twitter at JackBushman2 or at TalkinHockey, or you can also email the Lockdown Blackhawks email, which is LockdownBlackhawks at gmail.com for any questions regarding the Blackhawks, myself, or simply just life in general. So we just wrapped up our weekly Mailbag Monday segment, where I take a couple of minutes to answer some questions from the fans. Now it's time to move on to three-time Stanley Cup champion and two-time Norris Trophy winning defenseman Duncan Keith's 2019-20 regular season recap. So the 36-year-old Keith played in his 15th NHL season this year, all with the Blackhawks, and, well, per usual, he did exactly what the team needed him to do, which was be their number one defenseman. After averaging less than 24 minutes in each of the last two years, after not doing so since his second year in the league, Keith was back at 24 and a half minutes per game this season, with a young and inexperienced Adam Boquist next to him for a majority of it, making it all that more impressive. Unfortunately, the offense just wasn't there for dunks this year, with only 27 points in 61 games for his lowest offensive outpour since his rookie season. One statistic that is a bit troubling from Keith is that for the second time in his last three seasons, his shooting percentage was well below his career average. Keith had only three goals this year and shot 2.7%, which is the fourth lowest of his NHL career. It seems like every time Keith has the puck at the blue line nowadays, he's either throwing it directly into the defender's shin pads or missing the net by a mile trying to bank the puck to the front. And when there's a potential screen in front of the goaltender, it's like he never hits the net. I think one of the biggest adjustments Keith needs to make as he's getting older now is that he needs to remain 
he needs to figure out how to remain effective with the puck in the offensive zone. Now that he's 36 years old, he's not able to play the same way that he wants to, and it's a matter of how he can adapt now. And I think one way he can do that is by working on getting his shots through with a screen in front of the net. While he did play in just 61 games this year, Keith's 111 shots were the lowest of his career besides the lockout shortened 12-13 season by a significant margin, actually. Taking a look here at Keith's possession numbers now, he did have a, a sub-Corsi, a sub-50 Corsi for the first time in his career, but 49.1 still isn't horrible considering the Blackhawks' overall team defense and how much Keith was on the ice for most of it. Keith actually had more defensive zone starts this season than he has in recent years, so that could also be a reason why his Corsi is lower than normal as well. Now, taking a look at the defensive pairings, if this whole 2014 postseason does actually come to, fruit, come to fruition, I think it's fair to expect that Keith will be slated right alongside Adam Boquist, as he has been for most of the season on the Blackhawks' top defensive pairing. If I were Jeremy Colleton, I'd roll with Keith and Boquist on the top pairing, Calvin DeHaan and Connor Murphy on the second pairing as the shutdown combo, and then Olimata and Slater Cuckoo as the third pairing to round it all out. I don't think there is any better way to ease a young and smaller defenseman like Boquist into the postseason than by throwing him out there with Duncan Keith. And it would make sense because the two have established at least a little bit of chemistry together this season. So let the kid stick with what he knows. Let Boquist play with a rock like Keith for his first bit of playoff experience. And I am sure he'll be as confident as he can be in a situation like that. All right, so I think that is going to wrap up Duncan Keith's 2019-20 regular season recap. And also, Mailbag Monday, June 29th episode of Lockdown Blackhawks. Thank you again for tuning into the show. And as always, make sure to give the Lockdown Blackhawks Twitter page a follow at capital L, capital O, underscore Blackhawks. Also, be sure to subscribe and follow the Lockdown Blackhawks podcast for free right now on your favorite podcast app, and you'll get the latest episode of Lockdown Blackhawks as soon as it comes out each day. And after the show, ask your smart device to play the Lockdown NHL podcast for all the latest news about a potential return to hockey in the next month or so. Thank you again for tuning into today's episode. I am Jack Bushman. You can catch me on Twitter at my personal account, at JackBushman2, or my Blackhawks account, at TalkinHockey, for all the latest Blackhawks news and updates. For any questions at all regarding anything related to the Lockdown Blackhawks podcast, you can always email LockdownBlackhawks at gmail.com or call 708-653-0572 to leave a voicemail. So until tomorrow, I hope you enjoy the rest of your day, and thank you again for listening.